This might hurt, it's not safe But I know that I've gotta make a change I don't care if I break At least I'll be feeling something Cause just okay is not enough Help me fight through the nothingness of life Good morning. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, we're getting hopefully close to the end of this. Hopefully just a couple more weeks we'll be doing it this way and we'll be opening up soon, but uh, we're still just trusting the Lord and, and looking to Him. Uh, we will be deciding in regards to what we're going to do as far as opening up. Hopefully uh, the 1st of May we'll be good with that and everything will be opened up then, but we are just waiting and seeing. For now, we're just going to continue to meet this way and work this way. Uh, we are just desiring to do it for your safety and that everything would be safer that way. And so that's the reason we're doing this. Uh, as we begin this morning, there's just a couple of uh, prayer requests that I want us to be in prayer about. Uh, Open Door Bible Church is our church of the week, so we want to be in prayer for them and pray for their ministry. Just pray that God would guide them and direct them and use them. Uh, Hudson is under quarantine as well, and so they're doing ministry in a different way as well. And so we do want to just be in prayer for for Pastor Tom, and, and just remember them and the ministry there. Uh, John and Shirley Smith are our missionaries of the week as they work with children's outreach. Uh, with everything closing down in the schools, their ministries closed down in that regard. But they are making plans for this summer. There's a training session that they're going to be doing in June, so they're making plans towards that. Hopefully everything will be opened and we'll be ready to go in June for that, but they'll be ready. So pray for them. Uh, John and Shirley both have, a, have had a number of health issues. Uh, John is having some knee issues, and Shirley's been dealing with some issues as well in her back. And so we just want to be in prayer for John and Shirley. Uh, pray for their health, just that everything goes well, and, and remember them. Also want to pray for Zab and Ariana. Potter as they minister there with CEF in Chicago, uh, just be praying for them and their ministry, and just like everywhere else, they're closed down, but uh, pray that God would guide and direct with that, so when things are opened up, that they'll be ready to go, so remember Zeb and Ariana as well. We want to continue to pray for our Medina Federated Church family, 
Uh, just pray for our safety as we go through this time. Uh, pray that we would remain healthy. And just pray that we would be trusting the Lord. I know there's been a number of times where it's easy for us to be overtaken with fear and, and be overwhelmed with fear, but we want to not be overwhelmed with fear. We want to be trusting the Lord and looking to Him, being smart with the decisions we make, but yet trusting in the Lord with those as well. And so uh, do pray for our church family and, and pray that God would minister to us and keep us safe. As we think about this COVID virus, we want to just continue to be in prayer for our healthcare workers uh, and remember them. We want to pray for all of those who are in the nursing homes and remember them and remember their safety and pray for them. want to be in prayer for all of those who are essential workers who are working in the public, uh, grocery stores and postal carriers and and all of those people who are still out working, doing essential work, uh, we do want to just pray for them and pray for their safety uh, and ask God to watch over them. been praying this last couple weeks for our correction officers. We have some here in the church and part of our church family. Uh, but also, as you think about others that are working in those close confinements, we see on the, on the news where the COVID virus is getting into the uh, into some of these correctional facilities. So we do want to just be in prayer for them and pray for their safety as well. In those close confines, when that virus comes, it really does run through there rapidly. So we do want to pray for their protection, for their safety as well. Continue to pray for Kelsey Fry. She is recovering well uh, from her procedure, and she's plugging right along. So remember her. We do want to pray for Dick Rhodes as he recovers from the coronavirus. Uh, same, things seem to be going well for him, and he's making progress, but just continue to pray for him and pray for his recovery. I think uh, this Sunday will be two weeks in for him, so pray for him and pray for his recovery. We do want to pray for Cindy. Uh, she was notified uh, that uh, she has stage 4 cancer. Uh, it's in her colon and in her liver. Uh, this is a Cindy that's not part of our church family, but someone message me and ask me to pray for Cindy. And so we do want to pray for her and, and remember her and, and just pray for Cindy just to be looking to the Lord. Uh, again, not sure of her last name, but was just asked to pray for Cindy today. So we do want to pray for her. Do want to pray for Sean Howard. Uh, just remember him and little Maddie as they get ready to start chemo. Uh, just remember them and, and pray uh, for them. Uh, Norman is Marilyn Malott's brother-in-law, and he has cancer, and he's doing chemo as well. So we want to pray for Norman as well. Pray for John Madden. He, he has some health concerns that he's been dealing with. I think he's been in the hospital now for a couple weeks, and so we want to pray uh, for him and for his recovery. Uh, I received a couple of emails this week and had a conversation uh, this week on the phone. I uh, do want to just pray for some of our unsafe family members uh, some of our family members don't know Christ, and as we go through this time with this virus, we do want to pray this would be an opportunity for our, us to come and, and look to the Lord and, and realize our need for salvation. So we do want to pray for our unsaved family members, pray that God would guide and direct and work in their hearts and draw them to himself so that they may come to know Christ. And so we do want to remember our family members. So I want to encourage you to pray for our family members uh, that don't know Christ. I know there are a number of unspoken requests that are on your hearts, and, and I do want to be in prayer for those, whatever is on your mind and on your heart. We do want to lift those before the Lord and pray that he would work in those areas. So we want to be mindful of those and, and uh, just thankful for the opportunity we had to celebrate Easter last week. It was kind of a 
interesting way to celebrate here in front of our TVs, in front of our computers, but yet a thankful that we had the opportunity to be reminded of the empty tomb and, and just the number of messages that we've been able to watch online and, and from different pastors and some of the great messages we've heard. Uh, those have been a great encouragement to, to me and to others as well, and so we're grateful for the opportunity we have to listen to the Word of God that way. As we begin, let's go ahead and just have a word of prayer and lift these requests before the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, and, and Lord, as we're meeting this way, we're grateful for this opportunity. It's not what we're used to, different than what's normal, but Lord, we're grateful that we still have the opportunity. We pray for Open Door Bible Church. We ask that you would be with that ministry and minister to them. Uh, think of Pastor Tom and just pray that you'd be with him and protect his family. And Lord, just minister through that church. And as they seek to minister to their neighbors, we just pray, Lord, for opportunities for that. So guide and direct there. We think of John and Shirley. We're thankful for their ministry. We do pray for their health concerns. Uh, Lord, we pray your healing touch would be upon them, that they might just fully recover. And we do thank, Lord, of the plans that they're putting in place for this training that's coming up in June. We pray that that would go well, that they'd be able to do that on schedule and without any problems. We pray that by then we'll be through all of this stuff. But, Lord, we just put John and Shirley in your hands. We pray for Zeb Potter. We ask that you'd minister to him. Think about the ministry that's there in Chicago. And, and Lord, just pray you'd be leading and directing. And I think of John and Shirley, and I think of Zeb as well, and, and all of our missionaries. As we think about all the churches that are going through this time and the tithes and the offerings being lower than normal, we pray, Lord, that these churches would continue to be able to support them financially, and, Lord, that they wouldn't see a drop in their support. And so, Lord, we do just pray you'd be working in that area as well. We do think of our church family, Lord. We pray that you'd grant us safety. We pray that this virus wouldn't be something that would affect us as a church. And so, Lord, we do pray that you'd keep us healthy. We pray, Lord, that through this time that we would be trusting you. Lord, we don't want to be uh, stupid about it and, and run out in the midst of it and, and do that way. But we do want to be cautious. But we do want to not be consumed with fear either and overwhelmed with fear. And so, Lord, help us to trust you. We do pray that you would guide and and direct us and minister in that area. And, and Lord, just minister to our hearts and minds as we uh, go through this time. I do pray, Father, for all of our health care workers. I pray, Lord God, that you would minister there to them, guide and direct there, keep them safe. We think of all of our people who are in nursing homes. We pray that you'd grant them safety. We know, Lord, that they're going a little bit stir-crazy because they're not having their visitors as usual. But we pray, Lord, that you'd touch their hearts and minds, help them to be looking to you. We do think of all of those, Father, who are out working in the public, who have essential jobs that are in the midst of the virus. We pray that you'd keep them safe, watch over them, and be with them. We think of all of our correction officers, Lord God, and those who are incarcerated. We pray, Lord, that you'd help them through this time. And, Lord, we pray that as this virus goes through, as we come out on the other side of this virus, we pray, Lord, there would be a genuine turning to you and a genuine turning to your son. And so, Lord, we pray you'd minister to hearts and minister to minds, and, and we do pray that your healing touch would just be upon uh, these, uh, this nation, Father, and, and on our world, that this would be a time that we would turn to you. We do pray for John Irvine, Lord. We thank you that everything went well with his pacemaker, and we just pray for his continued progress, Lord. Uh, pray that he would just have a full recovery. So guide and direct him and minister there to him and just give him the strength that he needs. And we're thankful for the progress he's made. Thank you for watching over him and sparing his life. 
And Lord, we just pray that he would continue to recover. We pray for Kelsey. We ask that you'd be with her, help her in this recovery process, and minister to her. And uh, Lord, we're thankful that she's doing so much better. We do pray for Dick Rhodes. We thank you for getting him through this virus. And, and Lord, thankful that he's doing so much better. And we do just pray for his continued recovery. And uh, Lord, we pray that he'd be able to go back into the nursing home soon. But we just put him in your hands and pray your healing touch would be upon him. Father, we pray for Cindy. We ask, ask that you administer to her in this stage four cancer. is this cancer they found in the colon and in her liver as well. And Lord, we just pray you administer to her heart and her mind and help her to look to your son Jesus. So be with her and encourage her, Lord. And we do pray that they'd be able to uh, cure her of this, uh, Lord, that this cancer would go into remission. So just minister to her and her family too. We think of Sean as he gets ready for chemo. We think of Norman and we think of Maddie as they uh, do chemo. We pray, Lord, you'd give them the strength that they need to be able to endure the chemo. And, Father, we do pray that their cancer would go into remission as well. We pray for John Madden and his health issues. Ask that you'd minister to him and be with him and encourage him. And, Lord, we do pray, Father, for just the salvation of our family members. Lord, so many of our families, some of our kids and some of our parents and, and Lord, if aunts and uncles and cousins that don't know your son, uh, we pray, Lord, you'd work in their hearts. We think of our, uh, Lord, just those neighbors that we have and the opportunity we have to visit with them. We pray they would come to know your son Jesus as well. Uh, Lord, as we think about these requests that are on our hearts today, we're so grateful, Father, for the way that you work in these circumstances. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunities we have, Lord, just to draw near to you because of these. Father, grateful for who you are, especially grateful for your son today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Trust everybody's staying healthy. Join us in our time of worship. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy, you are holy, 
Surrender. 
You've heard that old saying, one step forward and two steps back. It seems like we take a step and we make a step of progress, what we deem as progress, and then some development transpires and it causes us to go back. Uh, sometimes it feels like we go back more than two steps, but oftentimes it's one step forward and two steps back. We don't go back where we were. It seems like we oftentimes go back one more step at least further back. This sometimes happens in our careers. We feel like we make a good career move, we make that move, and then we find out that instead of climbing the ladder of success, we've just moved sideways and then moved backwards two steps. Sometimes in our relationships, we take one step forward. We feel like our relationship has been restored, and then there's an event that takes place that's outside of our control that makes that relationship go backwards two steps. Sometimes in, our, in the area of finances, we take a step forward, we feel like we're saving some money, we feel like we're cutting some corners, and, and we're helping in, ends to meet a little bit better, and it just feels like maybe we're on the right track, and then the washing machine dies, or the car breaks down, and boom, we have a divot in our savings account instead, and we're further behind than what we were before. So instead of taking one step forward, we've taken two steps back in the end. Sometimes in regards to health issues, we take a step forward. We feel like we're on the road to health and recovery and things are going well. And then all of a sudden something else happens and we take two steps backwards. Sometimes it happens in regards to home improvements. We replace the carpet and everything seems to be going well. And, and as far as home improvements go, we've taken a step forward and and we're starting to do well in the building and the, the shaping of our nest. And we find out that our roof leaks and we need a new roof and we need new insulation and new shingles. And so instead of taking a step forward in the area of home improvement, we've taken four steps back. So it seems like it happens in every regard of life, in every area of life. There's one step forward and two steps backwards. You know, as we think about that thought, this also happens in our spiritual walk as well. We step out on faith, we trust God to do a work, and we see God do a work, and we realize that it's God doing an amazing work, and we're grateful for the amazing work that God has done. And we experience this great spiritual victory uh, that we face, and things are just going so well. And then we face the next spiritual challenge. And when we face that spiritual challenge, we lack faith. We lack trust. Instead of moving forward with God in our walk with God, we backslide away from God. So the Christian life is full of one step forward and two steps back sometimes. This morning, as we continue our journey through Genesis, this morning we come to Genesis chapter 33, and we want to return and look again at verses 17, and then we want to look at verses 18, 19, and 20 as well. 
In this passage, we find Jacob taking one step forward, and then he takes two steps back. And we can see, and as we look at Jacob's life, it seems like this is Jacob's mantra. It seems like as we follow Jacob along in his journey, he's full of one step forward and two steps back. And in this instance, we are just face-to-face with this Jacob taking one step forward and two steps back. And it's important that as we observe Jacob, that we seek to avoid this same pattern. And sometimes as we look at our life, we can see this pattern happening in our life. And this is a great reminder to us that we can't continue in that pattern, that we've got to step out of that pattern and stop taking one step forward and two steps back. And as we look at Jacob's life, hopefully this will help us to do that. Now open your Bibles this morning to Genesis 33, verse 17, if you're not already there. Genesis 33, verses 17 through 20 is where we want to spend our time this morning. Now, as we look at this, the first thing we see is Jacob in Succoth, and that's verse 17. And then we see Jacob in Shechem, and that's verses 18 through 20. And this is where we want to spend our time this morning, is here in this section. Before we dive into this, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be here this morning and to be able to look into your word. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that your word look into us. Lord, let it speak to our hearts. Let it speak to our minds. Lord, let it shape us as we think about living the Christian life. Let Jacob's example be an example for us to avoid. Father, we're grateful for your word and grateful that even a book like Genesis written so long ago is applicable for us today. And I pray, Father, that you'd speak to us through your word. Take my mind and my heart and my tongue, Lord God, and just allow us to hear from you today, Father. So grateful for who you are, so grateful for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, The first thing we want to see is in verse 17. And this is where we find Jacob in Succoth. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, But Jacob journeyed to Succoth. This is where we left Jacob last time. We actually looked at this verse last week and included this in last week's study. But I wanted to dive into this verse today and kind of take a little bit different look or a little bit deeper look, not a different look, but a deeper look into this verse. As we have been following Jacob here, and and especially in chapter 33, we saw Jacob and Esau reconcile their relationship. We know how in disarray it was before And we saw Jacob and Esau come together and hug and and reconcile in their relationship. Esau wanted Jacob to join him, and he went to Seir. That's where Esau lived, and he wanted Jacob to come and join him. And as they were meeting together, Jacob verbally agreed to do just that. So Esau went ahead and and, uh, headed back to Edom and left Jacob there. And Jacob had shared that he was going to join Esau as soon as he got there, or after when, at, at his own pace. Now, Jacob, once Esau left, Jacob then chose not to follow Esau. Jacob had good reason for not dwelling with Esau. Esau was not a follower of God. Uh, we read that he was a wretched man. 
And the two, the two reconciled, but being together in fellowship was just not going to happen. It would not have worked out because they were marching to two different drummers. And so it was probably a good thing, or it was a good thing, that Jacob didn't go with Esau. He had reconciled and mended that relationship, but being in that close fellowship just was not healthy for Jacob and for his family. And so Jacob chose not to do that. And as we look at Jacob and think about what just happened with Jacob, uh, we can see that that's a good thing. Uh, we see that Jacob has made a, a good decision here. He probably should have been more upfront with Esau and told him that he wouldn't follow Esau because Esau left thinking Jacob would soon follow, and, and that's not what happened. The hardest part of the journey for Jacob, though, is over. He was fearful of this meeting with Esau. He's been 20 years away from Esau, worried about this relationship. It says there that when he saw Esau, it was like seeing God. And so that's how joyful he was that this relationship with Esau had been restored. So this dreaded event, this dreaded meeting had taken place. God had worked in Esau's heart. God had softened Esau's heart. God had transformed Esau's heart. Jacob had tried to scheme and tried to soften Esau's heart himself. But Jacob didn't realize that God was able to do that work. Jacob didn't realize that, that God was able to do that work and had already done that work. Paul shares this in Ephesians 3, verse 20. And I heard this shared in regards to this relationship change, and I thought it was so fitting. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. You see, God worked in Esau's life abundantly, far more abundantly than Jacob ever thought possible. But we saw that transformation take place with Esau. And as Jacob saw this, as Jacob looked at this, this should have been a reminder to Jacob of of God's power, of God's ability to change things and to work in that way. Now, as you think about Jacob and Esau, as you think about Jacob coming over this hump in this relationship and, and curing that situation, you would think that Jacob would now be ready to continue his journey to his father's land. That's what he set out to do, is to go back to the promised land. And now we would think that Jacob's heart would now be prepared. Jacob turned and journeyed to Succoth. It says, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth. He went in the opposite way of Esau. And it says in verse 17, and he built himself a house. He made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. So Jacob journeyed to Succoth and he settled down. He built a house. He's no longer uh, in the tent uh, as a sojourner, we look at Abram's life, we look at Isaac's life, we look at Jacob's life up to this point, and they lived in tents. They manifested the pilgrim life as they journeyed wherever they needed to for their flocks, as they journeyed wherever they needed to following God. We see that take place in the lives of these patriarchs, in the lives of these men as they sojourned. Living in tents, always ready to relocate, the tent of a sojourner. Jacob took that tent of a sojourner and traded it in right here. And he built a house. 
Jacob is now ready to put down roots and settle here in Succoth. And he names the place Succoth because that is the word for booze. He built these booze for his animals. It doesn't seem that Jacob is going to be moving on any longer. He's put down roots and he's settled here in Succoth. And we think, you know what? What a great thing to put down roots in Succoth. Jacob is settling down. He's growing up. This is a great thing. And it seems like it's a good thing. But there's one detail. Succoth is not in the promised land. You see, Succoth is east of the promised land. Jacob is not in the promised land. He's settling, he's putting down roots, and he's not in the promised land. Do you remember what he shared with his wives? He shared with his wives that God had come to him and that God had talked to him. It's in Genesis 31, verse 13, that we read this conversation. It says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. When Jacob told his wives this, he shared with them about this visitation that he had from God. And God said, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar. That was where Jacob was when he had that dream. And this is what God had called him and reminded him of. Remember when Jacob had that dream, where we saw Jacob, what's known as Jacob's ladder? Genesis 28, verse 15. Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God instructed Jacob to return to the land of your kindred, to return back to the promised land. God would go with him and bring him back to the land. Instead of going back to the land, like Jacob was instructed to do, like Jacob said he would do, instead of doing that, he settled in Succoth, not in the promised land, but just outside of the promised land. Jacob stopped short of where he was supposed to go. Jacob seemed to be headed in the right direction. We saw him run from Laban, not open with Laban, not telling Laban what he was going to do. He was fearful of Esau. Remember how he sent everybody ahead? He was fearful of Esau. But it was there that God wrestled with him, that God touched his hip and put his hip out of place. Jacob would walk with a limp. And when he was walking with a limp, we saw him catch up with his family. We saw uh, Jacob go in front of his family and meet Esau. So as we look at Jacob there, we saw some promise in Jacob's life. Remember how we talked about Jacob's name being changed from Jacob to Israel? Israel means that God rules. And we thought there was great promise, and we see this promise in Jacob's life because there are times in Jacob's life where God rules and he is obedient to God's leading. We think there's great things in store for Jacob. And we see Jacob taking these steps forward. Unfortunately, here in Succoth, we see Jacob taking steps backwards. Jacob going backwards, lying to Esau and settling down 
outside of the promised land. Jacob did not press into the promised land. Jacob instead went into a holding pattern, not being obedient to God. As we look at Jacob, we don't see him receiving any more instruction until we get to Genesis 35, verse 1. Genesis 35, verse 1, it says this, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. You see, in Genesis 35, God takes Jacob back to that place where he met him before he went into the land where Laban was. Took him back to that and reminded him that he needed to go to Bethel and dwell in Bethel. That's where he needed to go. Jacob is so close to enjoying the blessings of God, but yet Jacob is so far from enjoying the blessings of God. If he would be obedient and follow God, he would enjoy those blessings. So close to enjoying those blessings, but he stops just short. We're not sure how long Jacob spent in Succoth. When we get to chapter 34, we find out that Dinah has grown into womanhood. When they left Padan Aram, she was probably six or seven years old. And when they arrive in Shechem, she's a young woman. So he lingered outside of the promised land for a period of time. He may not have intended to stay long, but you know, he built a house, he got comfortable, things were going well there, and he did not fully enjoy the blessings of God. So that's Jacob in Succoth. Now let's look at Jacob in Shechem. Verse 18 says this, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. So we see Jacob's journey, and we see him leave behind Succoth, and we see him come safely to the city of Shechem. And Shechem is in the land of Canaan. So hooray for Jacob. He's finally taken this step. He's finally arrived in Canaan, just as God has instructed him to do. And it says that Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. As he comes to the city of Shechem, Shechem is south of Bethel. Shechem is only about a day's travel from Bethel. So Jacob is within a day's travel of where he's supposed to be there in Bethel. And this is the same place that Abraham came uh, when he came from Padan Aram and ventured into the promised land. So Jacob has probably taken close or a similar route here to this area as Abram had taken. Genesis 12, verses 6 through 7 says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Shechem was a prominent city in the region. It was located on Mount Gerizim is where it was at. And it says here that Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram. Now notice that next phrase, and he camped before the city. 
Now, I don't know how it was for you, but as I read that, that kind of made me nervous. When you read that passage, it reminded me of Lot. It reminded me of the poor choices that Lot made. Remember when Abram and Lot separated and Lot looked at the valley and saw how good and plush the valley was and we read that Lot settled among the cities and then we read a little bit later that Lot settled near Sodom and then we read later that Lot had a house in Sodom. It was a slippery slope for Lot. And as we look at this and as we see this right here, I can't help but think that this was a slippery slope for Jacob as well. They have not been a part of city living at all. And now all of a sudden, the city of Shechem has been a draw to them. It's been a, a, something that's appealed to them. And now here he is setting up his tent just outside of Shechem. Maybe Jack, Jacob, as we look at this, Maybe Jacob will choose to press on and make that day's travel and go on to Bethel where he had placed that rock to begin with. Maybe that's what he'll do. This would be a great place for us to go to a commercial. Maybe come back next week. But instead, we'll read verse 19. It says, And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. He bought land from the sons of Hamor. Now this piece of land becomes a significant place in Israel's history. It says in Joshua 24, verse 32, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, and it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. So on this piece of land, with a significant piece of land, he pitched his tent. And this is where we see him here, near the city of Shechem. This would be a decision that Jacob would go on to regret. If you read ahead, and you read verse 30, or chapter 34, you'll see how destructive this decision was for Jacob as he settled here. Now look at verse 20. It says, There he erected an altar, and he called it El Eloi Israel. This is the first altar that we've seen Jacob build since the one he set up in Bethel. He had not set up anything in Haran, but we see him set up this temple here. He called the altar El Elohi Israel. And that word means that El is the word for God, and it's God of Israel is what this phrase means, God, the God of Israel. Jacob recognizes his name, and he desires to live in that way. And he makes this declaration that God is his God. So he uh, admits and he recognizes that this is his new name. He recognizes and he declares that God is his God and this is the God that he follows. And I'm sure that as he placed this here, he was seeing this as an opportunity, a place for him to gather his family together uh, where they could worship together the one true God. 
I'm sure as, as he thought about this, this was going to be a great testimony for his family to, to be a testimony to the people of Canaan, the, the Canaanites. Uh, and so that's where he was, I'm sure that's what he was thinking. And, and you know, as we look at this, it seems like this is a great move for Jacob as he makes this decision as he does this. From outside, one would say Jacob maybe is getting his life in order. Maybe he's starting to behave and act more like Israel, more like a person who's controlled by God and less like a hill grabber or less like a deceiver, like the word Jacob means. But you know, as we look at this, we know the lesson. God desires obedience. God desires obedience from the heart. Not obedience on the outside, but obedience from the heart. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says this, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. See, Saul had desired to worship God and offer up a sacrifice. But Samuel came to Saul and said, Hey, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to be obedient than sacrifice. This is going to be a rough row to hoe for Jacob and for his family as they're here, here in, in Shechem. If he would have just pressed on to Bethel, what kind of difference would this have made in Jacob's life? What kind of difference would this have made in Jacob's family's life? Next week, we're going to take a look at Genesis 34 and see what happens to Jacob's family. But as we look here in these verses, we saw Jacob in Succoth in verse 17. And we saw Jacob and Shechem in verses 18 through 20. So what do we take home from this? I mean, as we look at Jacob and this journey that he's made, what do we learn from this? I think first and foremost, we go to Genesis 1.1, and we see that in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. As you think about life, as you think about how we live life, is that something that can be said about us? In the beginning, God. Does God have that place in our lives where he is first and foremost in everything? And I don't mean first and foremost in part of our things. I mean first and foremost in everything. That's where God desires to be, is in first place. Is he in first place in our lives? As we look at Jacob, sometimes his behavior is, is not as if God is first place in his life. Sometimes God comes in second or third or fourth as we look at his life. The Christian life can be full of one step forward and two steps backward. And you know, as we think about that reality, I think we need to be cautious of that. We need to make sure to the best of our ability that we're seeking to go forward, that we're not allowing ourselves to go backwards. That needs to be a, a mindful a mindful desire, a mindful uh, action is seeking to go forward. We need to be on the alert. 
Because there are things that can take us backwards, and we need to be aware of those things. We need to be on the alert for those things. We need to be sober-minded as we think about the things that we face. Is this something that's going to take me backwards, or is this something that's going to allow me to go forward in my spiritual walk? You know, sometimes as we consider different things, whether it's a career change or an activity that we're desiring to do, or, or maybe an investment that we're making, or, or something else that we're doing, the, one of the things we need to consider is, what is this going to do in my relationship with God? Is this going to help my relationship with God, or is this going to hinder my relationship with God? I remember visiting with a couple one time, and this was before I was a pastor, back when I was a Shawnee, and they were looking at purchasing a home, and they said, boy, this is going to be such a great thing for our family to purchase this home. And so they went forward, and it seemed like there were lots of roadblocks for them purchasing this home, but they found a way around them and over them and through them, and they were able to buy their dream home. And you know, it turned out that this dream home cost them a lot more than what they thought. They wound up needing to work more hours to pay for their dream home. Sometimes on Sundays, they would work on Sundays and not take their family to church. It was a greater distance from the church that they had been attending, so it was harder for them to get up and to go to church. And so there were other things that worked in their relationship that were difficult. And and instead of God being first place in this purchase, and we think about purchasing a home, has nothing to do with our relationship with God, but let, we look at it and we see this purchase of this home completely affected their relationship with God. We need to consider that. We need to make sure and be sober-minded that taking a step forward doesn't cause us to take two steps back. You know, as we look at this and as we see this unfold, I'm just overwhelmed and how faithful God is, how gracious God is, how patient God is. So I look at Jacob's life and these one step forward and two steps back. I would love to shake my head at Jacob, but I can't help but shake my head at myself. But you know what? I'm thankful that God is faithful, thankful that God is gracious, thankful that God is patient, and I'm so thankful that God is forgiving. Because, man, there have been so many times when I've screwed up. But you know, God is faithful. God is forgiving. And he's been there with me that whole time. God calls on us to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And as we hear that, we can sometimes think that God is just being cruel to us. But as we look at Jacob's situation here, we're reminded that God doesn't call us to be separate from the world because he wants life to be difficult for us. God calls us to be separate from the world for our own spiritual health. I can remember going through different things as a child and my parents saying no and not allowing me to do those things. And I used to think, man, how rough they were to me. But now as I look back, man, they didn't let me play with dynamite for my own health. I mean, they knew better. And as I look back on it, I'm thankful for how restrictive they were for me. And I'm here now, and I'm the person I am now because of those. And we've got to look at that and realize that there's a reason that God wants us to abstain from the things of the world. There's a reason that God wants us to live separate and holy 
unto him. It's because God wants us to be spiritually healthy. You know, as I look at Jacob and his life here, I realize that God desires that we walk in obedience, not partial obedience, but full obedience. Not because God is unloving, but because God loves us, we should walk in obedience. Because he knows what is best for us. Because he has a plan for our life. That's what we've got to do. That's where we've got to uh, think and recognize that God desires for us to walk in full obedience. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us. And Lord, as I pause here before you, I pray, Father, you would move in our hearts. Maybe we're here today, Lord, and we haven't been following you. Maybe we've never chosen to follow you. We've completely been following the world. I pray, Father, this morning that you might move in our hearts, that we might choose to follow you instead of the world. So move in our hearts. Father, maybe we've been following you for a period of time, and, and because of all of this craziness, because of life, we've drifted away. We've backslidden. We've taken steps backwards in our spiritual journey. I pray, Lord, that you would use this passage to challenge our hearts. Lord, that it would be our desire to draw near to you, to seek you, and so move in our hearts. Father, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your son Jesus and all that we have because of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This week at 9 o'clock, as we pause each night to spend time in prayer, Let's pray that we would be a body who would walk in full obedience. Pray that God would move in our hearts and our minds and lead us that we might walk in full obedience. Thanks for being with us this morning.